There's a verse in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 40, and it's quoted in each of the Gospels. Isn't that remarkable? That all four evangelists put this in their Gospel. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, listen to me as I read. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as first thing he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, prophesying what John the Baptist would be doing. Luke chapter 3, verse, verses 1 through 5. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And then in John, And this is the testimony, John chapter 1, after that beautiful prologue, he says, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Speaking of John the Baptist, they wanted to know who he was. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they said, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. The verses being quoted there, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah chapter 40 is a new beginning of a new section of the book of Isaiah. It's a forward-looking part of the book. It's a glimpse into the future. Almost like we can think of how John on the island of Patmos had a vision of the future in the book of Revelation. That is what Isaiah chapter 40 and following is uh, for the prophet Isaiah. He's writing to the people, God's people, Israel and Judah, and he's writing something to comfort them and to console them because they need to know that their hope in God is not misplaced. So when I was thinking of the special this morning, the idea here is these people need to know that they can trust in God. Just like we need to be able to proclaim, all my hope is in Jesus. 
Isn't, though, misplaced hope a terrible thing? Have you ever placed your hope in something and it was misplaced? Think of the dread those defenders at the Alamo felt when they realized the help that they thought was on the way was never going to come. Think of how horrifying it must have been for those passengers aboard the planes on 9-11 as they were hoping for a safe trip to arrive wherever they were going with a nice landing only to meet a terrible death at the hands of Muslim terrorists. They trusted in that pilot. They trusted in that airline. They trusted in the security. And their hope was misplaced. Think of those Israelis who woke up on October 7th. And they had placed their hope in the Israeli defense forces. They had placed their hope in Mossad to keep them safe in a very dangerous and evil world that surrounds them. And on October 7th, their illusions of security were shattered as they were brutally murdered in the most sadistic ways possible. Think of how those hostages now in Gaza who are hoping for a rescue, how many of them, no doubt, and probably already, will realize there's no one coming. Their hope has been misplaced. Think of the man whose body is ravaged by sickness. And he's listening to the false teachers on the the radio, he's listening to the prosperity preachers on the internet who are telling him that if he just has enough faith and he just sends enough money in, that he'll be saved. Even though he's on a fixed income, he's giving all he can. And imagine how he is jolted like Granny Weatherall when he realizes that those preachers are liars. And he was trusting in what those lying preachers said, and his hope was misplaced. His hope should not have been in that false gospel, but in Jesus Christ. Think of those who've put their hope in investments. Think FTX, Theranos, Bernie Madoff. Maybe they've put hope in their own company. Think of all those who were trusting in Enron to provide them a career and a retirement. Or think of a political candidate, and you can just think of any of them. Who can be trusted? What if you were one of God's people in the time of Isaiah? And I've brought up all these terrible things. And I want you, we just kind of don't think about it really when we think of the Old Testament and we think of what was going on. But what happened to God's people when they had not listened for hundreds and hundreds of years as God said, if you don't repent, if you don't keep the covenant that we made together, I'm going to send an army in from the north. They're going to carry you off. And you will be carried away from the land that's been given to you. You will be carried away from the place where God dwells and you can worship in the temple. And sure enough, in the most horrible ways that you can read about things happening in the Bible, those invaders, those brutal, evil invaders came and they were instruments of God's justice and they carried off God's people 600 miles away where they were far from their home and far from their God, their temple, where they would worship from their religious life, we might say. And so there they are in Babylonian captivity. And if life could get any worse, they couldn't think of a way it could get any worse. And they might have been wondering, is our hope misplaced? You see, Israel and Judah's problem was that they had put their faith and their trust in the blessings of God and not the one who gave the blessing. 
Aren't we tempted to do that? We're tempted to put our hope and our security in the good things that God has given us, but God is calling us to trust in Him, not the gifts. That's a hard lesson to learn. That's a lesson that Israel had to learn. They were so caught up in the things God had given them, and they were comparing themselves to other nations. They were trying to keep the pace. And they had no room for the Lord because of all the things that were lording over them. And the Lord warned them over and over and over again. And He said, listen, the deal is, I will bless you, my people, with my whole heart if you will love me with your whole heart. And they said they loved God. They went to the temple every day and they said they loved God. But they lied. They loved their stuff. They loved their nation. They loved their security. They loved their religion. But they didn't love God. The Bible says that they honored Him with their lips, but they lied in their hearts. So He ordained that the Babylonians would come in. And once He had their attention, once they were carried far away from all the things that they had put their hope and trust in, they realized their hope had been misplaced. And that the only one who is worthy and in whom we can truly trust is the Lord God. And so once they've started to realize this, we get to chapter 40, and God says, Isaiah, go comfort my people. Go comfort and console my people. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her and say, the warfare is ended. My war with you is over. God is not against you. That her iniquity is pardoned. You're forgiven. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The time of consequence is ending. That 70 years is going to end. Remember, the captivity was going to last for 70 years. Why 70 years? What had God told them to do every seven years with their land? To let it rest. And you know what they did with that command? What we do with all the commands, right? We ignored it. And so they just kept working the land and working the land and working the land for 500 years. He says, you know what? You're going away into captivity, and that land is going to get its rest. And so that's why the captivity was 70 years to make up for the time that they had not let the land rest, when they had not given the land its Sabbath. They had not been obedient in honoring what God had told them to do. And he says, you've received double for all your sins. It had been a terrible time of consequence for God's people in a foreign land. And he says, it's over. The relationship between God and his people was going to be restored. There will be restoration of the people to their land. A rebuilding of the temple so that the worship would resume. And then we have this verse quoted by all four evangelists. A voice in the wilderness is crying out. There would be one who was going to come and he was going to herald the coming of the Messiah and he was going to say, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. Even the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places become plain. Now when Jesus came, there wasn't just a bunch of earth moving and bulldozers and all that, was there? But what is he trying to say here? The Lord's going to come and he's going to shake it all up. When the Lord comes in, it changes everything. That mountain becomes flat. (laughs) 
The uneven ground becomes level. The rough places become smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is the message? Something big is coming. Something big is about to happen. God is coming. The King is coming. So get ready. Prepare the way. Make straight the highway. God is going to do something. But there's always preparation involved. Are you ready? If God wanted to speak to your heart, are you prepared to hear from Him? Or are you so distracted by the blessings that you can't even think about the blesser? Preparations involved. We've got to be ready. And one of the reasons that we don't have revival and while our spiritual life is dead is because we have too low a view of God. And we don't make our hearts a room big enough for Him. Are you prepared? Are you ready to hear from the Lord even today? Did you wake up today thinking, wow, I might hear from the Lord today? Maybe not, and now He's got your attention. What if you were ready every Sunday and you said, we've got to get up and go to church because God is going to speak to us because every time we open this, He speaks to us. But it requires preparation. Every year for about the past five years, We've planted vinca. It's a flower called periwinkle, vinca, in our front flower bed. So the first time we went and bought the vinca, I asked Melissa, and this is really Melissa's project, but I help out. I said, how many of these do we need to buy? So we kind of figured it up, you know. She says, it's going to cost about $100. I, what? We're not going to spend $100 on flowers. That's ridiculous. But it felt like something you should do when you're in your 40s. And so uh, I sprung for the flowers. And so then we go home, we start digging these holes and planting these things, and I'm getting out the bunny poo and the fertilizer, and we plant these little flowers, and I'm thinking, these things look puny, and these things look weak, and I just wasted $100. And then we started to see snails everywhere. And they were eating the flour, so I got snail dust and seven dust. And John Tomlinson told me to get diatomaceous earth and put it all over the place. And so I was protecting those $100 flowers. I was preparing and, and, and ready, making ready for them to flourish and thrive. And then over the course of several months, these flowers were looking so good that I started to take pictures of them, which is definitely something you only do when you're over 40. So you can see flower uh, picture one here. Oh, that's, that's number six, actually. Okay, there we go. There's number one. Now show number two there. Okay, so see how beautiful they looked? I mean, over time, they actually came in, and we lined the front, you know, there to make it look really nice. Can y'all see that? Yeah, that's actually God did that, not me. But I, I prepared, the, prepared the ground. I prepared the ground. And so then you start to get a little bit better. You know, you start to really kind of learn how to, how to get the things ready and how to plant the things. You, you learn as you progress into your 40s. You, you get better at this, and then you figure out when Barbara Calvin tells you how to get the voluntaries to come in. And that's when the flowers die. You shake them out. You know, right before you put up your Christmas ornaments, you, sh- you pull up the flowers and you shake them out. And then we started getting really pretty good at preparing. Show the next picture. And then that's what it turned into. 
Yeah, that's impressive, okay? I'm not asking you to clap, but I just acknowledge it. All right, that, that, that was good stuff right there. And then you showed the, the other picture. Yeah, so then we, we really started learning how to make these things grow. The, the more work you do on the front end, the better it is on, on, on the back end whenever you're uh, growing these flowers. And so after a few years, you know, I'm glad to go over there to Lowe's or Home Depot and just give them $150 because I know what's going to happen. It's going to be great. It's going to turn out so beautiful, except for this year, and they didn't look very good because of the hot weather. But every, every year is not a winter, but most of the years it is. And so it just doesn't appear, though. Show that the one at the very beginning. That's how it starts out, though, right? Little bitty shrubs, little bitty flowers. You can see the, the irrigation. You see the, that little trench where they'd cut that. You know, it was all preparation, though, for something wonderful to happen afterward. Then you get number six. That picture again, so beautiful and so, so amazing. But it takes work. It takes preparation. You can take those off. The mor- this morning, the purpose of the hanging of the green is to make, as Tracy said, to make this room ready for Christmas. But what we're called to do in Scripture is something much deeper. It's to make room for the Lord, to prepare a place for the Lord in our life. What is the word? We say the word Lord, 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 you know. And, and we, we share the gospel with our kids, and we're always talking about the Lord, talking about the Lord. And like, that's just not a word that we normally use, is it? What is a Lord? A Lord is a king. Everyone, 400 years ago, if you'd ask someone what a Lord is, they'd say, A Lord is a king. He's the king. We are to prepare a place for the king in our life. Imagine if a king was coming to your house. How much of the house would you prepare for the king? I think you'd get it all ready. The whole place would be at the king's disposal. If the king said, can I put some stuff in your laundry room? You wouldn't say, you know what, king, I didn't clean that up. It's pretty messy in there. No, you would have cleaned the whole place up and you would let the king in anywhere he wanted to go. And John's message to the people was to get ready and to repent Because the king's kingdom was here. And when we're confronted with the gospel, here's the gospel message. The king is here. Get the whole house ready and give it to him. How much of the house does the king get? The whole thing. He gets all of it. The king is coming for the whole house. Here's the king. He comes to earth as a little baby. He lives a perfect life for you. He dies for you. He rises from the grave for you. He offers you eternal life, abundant life, sonship, adoption, a purpose, forgiveness of sins, and everything you need to be acceptable to God. He had come to this earth because everything was broken and ruined. All of our hope had been misplaced. Everything is bound for hell and destruction because of sin and rebellion. And you were an active part of the rebellion. You were born, and the minute you could, you started sinning. And you're marching headlong into ruin But the king comes to you and says, here's comfort, here's consolation, here's a gift of life. So based on those facts, how much room in your heart needs to be prepared for Jesus? Based on those facts, how much can you trust him? How much hope can you place in him? And based on those facts, I would say repentance and faith in Jesus are completely warranted. The question Have you prepared the whole house? What kind of life in Christ do you want? What kind of life in Christ does He want for you? 
because he knows what's best for you. So is the life that you're living for Christ, would you say that's the life he wants for you? Remember, he knows what's best. We can't question his judgment. I guarantee you Christ's plan for your life is not half of it being given to him. But it's the whole house. Examine your life as we approach Christmas. We've got a few weeks to do it. We'll light these candles and think about joy and hope and peace. We'll think about whether we've prepared room. And think about whether or not you're fine with giving the Lord just the little room in your life that you've given him. What do you say? He comes through the whole house and you say, tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you Sunday morning. Won't give you Sunday school, but I'll give you church. Tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the whole Sunday. And maybe some Wednesdays. But that's it. But don't ask for my dreams. Don't ask for my will. Don't ask for my hope. Don't ask for those things that I think I can't live without. Please don't take those away. You ever met a whole house Christian? Maybe they're that kind of Christian. The crazy kind of Christian. The one who's given the king the whole house. That's what a Christian is. The Bible doesn't talk about a Christian who's a halfway Christian. Christ is coming. The kingdom is here. When you make ready and you prepare, you prepare the whole house. You make room, all of it. That's what a Christian is. That's what preparing the wilderness and making straight the highway looks like. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 summarizes it. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It used to be my house. My house is gone. It's no longer I who live there, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Why? Because He loved me and He gave Himself for me. This season, don't waste it. How many Christmases do you get? Just once a year. And for whatever reason, I don't know why this is built up, you know, in, in the history of, of Christianity, Christmas wasn't always that big of a deal. It seems to be this huge deal. Now, there, we could probably break that down and, and find all these reasons why Christi, uh, Christmas has become so popular in our culture and even all over the world. But I don't, I don't even want to go into all that. I just want to say this. Something happens at Christmas where people get a little bit lighter in their mood. They get a little bit happier. They go outside and they put lights up. And maybe they fight over that, I don't know. But in the end, it looks nice. And everybody's happy and we put trees up in our house and we give people gifts and we have parties. Things just get a little bit more tender at Christmas. And your heart will be more tender at Christmas. When you're here on Christmas Eve with your family and we've turned these lights off and we've, we've started using real candles again, So we've got those real candles and they're burning. It's a sweet moment. But don't waste that moment. In that moment, when you think about that candle that you're holding, think about the fact that the light has come into the world. And that one little light will chase away all the darkness in the room. 
And you can put your hope in that light and your hope will never be misplaced. If you've been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you and the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. So as we move through this season, here's my challenge to you. Give Christ the whole house. Don't waste your life by giving rooms to anything else. Give Him the whole house. Seek first the kingdom of God and get ready. Father, thank You that we've heard from Your Word a challenge and a voice crying out saying, take those wilderness places in our life and prepare them. And in the desert, Father, help us to build roads. And Father, we do pray that we would make room for You in our hearts, that we would make a road, so to speak, where you can travel right into the deepest parts of us and change us. Father, would you help us to be whole house Christians who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we will not find in the end that our hope was misplaced, but that you are the only one in whom we can trust. Father, we thank you for this season. We pray that you would do amazing things in these next few weeks. That you would speak to hearts of our young people and even of our oldest people. And you would cause us to repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That you would cause us to look to you, the giver, and not just to the things that you've given us. That we might be ready every single day to give you all of our life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together for our benediction.